This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Well, hello there, sunshine. I hope you are having the best week. Today, we are going to open a new pod class called Three Things Every Person Needs to Know. And you are absolutely going to love it. I already know that. It is so rich. But I do want you to know that we are having a minor schedule change. And this three-part series that we're going to start today will be our last pod class of the summer. So we are going to complete our three-part series and it will end on June 22. And then you won't have a new episode from us until August. And I know you're going to miss me so much and I'm going to miss you, but you want to know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a break. I have a lot of things that have been going on this summer that I haven't shared with you yet, but I will. I cannot wait to share with you some of the exciting opportunities that have come my way when I return from summer break on August 24. So we will launch Viral Jesus season four on August 24th. So please put a little note in your calendar so that we can join together again. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? I was going through our analytics this morning for this show because I have a meeting with Ed Gilbreth, our executive producer today. And I want you to know that because of you and your sharing of Viral Jesus and telling your friends about it, I've seen you guys tag me online, sharing it in DMs. I just appreciate it so much. And because of you, we are currently sitting at a ranking of 152, 152 globally in religion and spirituality podcasts and 124 in the United States. We are still in the top 200 all because of you. So thank you because all of this honestly happened this season. (laughs) Season three was a really big season for this program and it's because of you. And so I'm so grateful that you have just rallied in support of this show. Please, even when we're on the two-month break, send episodes to friends so that when we start season four together, we have new friends joining us. Hey, also, if there is something you love about the show that we are doing, can you please tell me what that is? Email Haley. She she checks all my emails at hello to Heather, hello to Heather at gmail.com. And also, if there is something you think we need to start doing or a member of pod class series that you think would be really important for us to tap into. Can you email that to me too? Hello to Heather at gmail.com. I love taking your guys's feedback and sharing it with Ed. And, and then we make choices about how we're going to move forward. So please keep this line of communication open, man. I could not be more excited about the start of the pod class that we're going to do today. Our guest is Mark Batterson, and I am a massive, massive Mark Batterson fan. I cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation. But first, are you ready for Social Toolkit? This is where we discuss practical tips and best practices for entering the chat. Today, we get to talk to social media expert, Brady Shearer. 
Brady Shearer is the director of Pro Church Tools and Church Software Platform Nucleus. His work focuses on helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. All right, Brady, you posted on your Instagram that we have to make our videos shorter. Talk me through this. I actually, I have no pushback for you on this because I think everybody should be making shorter videos. I think mine that do best are like under nine seconds and it's like a tweet. So how short are you talking when you say short videos? Yeah, the way I phrased it was I said, work harder to make your videos shorter because I think sometimes we hear, oh, shorter, that would mean less work, right? And I find paradoxically, it's the opposite. Uh, mm. One of the quotes from the great writer Mark Twain said, I wanted to write a short letter, but I didn't have time. So I wrote a long letter instead. And it does take extra work to make your videos shorter. Typically, when the videos are shorter, you're going to give them a better chance to perform well. And that's because overall watch time of a video is something that the social platforms are taking a look at. And so the longer your video is, the less likely that completion time is going to be at a place where the algorithms are going to favor that video. Uh, but what I'll also say is there is a time for longer videos, and that's when you've built an established audience. And the reason I say that is because short videos are great for reaching wide. And that's really important when you're first starting out because you might not have an established audience. But the shorter a video is, by nature, the less depth and substance that video is going to have. And so if all you ever do are short videos, you kind of end up being maybe an analog to a meme account, big numbers, but you know, not as much substance. And so once a video, oh, pardon me, once an account has been around for a while, you kind of want to be doing both. The longer videos are where you kind of go deep with your existing audience. So it really kind of depends like where your account is right now. Okay. So you're saying shorter videos to cast a wide net, bring people in, and then keep feeding your existing base by giving them something of more depth and relationship. Yeah. And I've noticed this with creators that I've begun to follow recently, and I've had no relationship with them whatsoever until they came across my, you know, TikTok or Instagram feed via discovery algorithms, vertical video. The ones that first came across my feed were the short ones, the ones that had the most views on their accounts. And that was kind of like, oh, a quick introduction. And then the more I watched their quick videos, the more the algorithms began recommending the longer ones. And this would parallel any human relationship, right? Like, let's say, you know, you're going on a date for the first time. You're not going to propose marriage, typically, because that's too much too fast. You do something a bit lighter, something quick, not too much of an investment. If it doesn't go well, no worries, you swipe away. Uh, but in this case, if it does go well, then you go and you take the next step. And so I think it mirrors human relationships in that way also. So true. I've just discovered real estate Instagram. I don't know oh if my. you've ever <laughs> landed there, but it started with short videos of these like jokes, different real estate agents would play. And now I'm deep in the community and following different people. And they're giving me all their longer ones. Brady, thanks so much for helping us better navigate our social toolkit. Okay. Pause the episode and share it with a friend right now, because I am telling you, you are going to want to debrief <laughs> this conversation with someone else. It is our pod class episode part one. It's a three-part series and we're going to open it with, I mean, who, where else do you go? Where else do you go to start a new podcast than Mark Batterson? Mark Batterson is the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Mark holds a doctor of ministry degree from Regent University. I, I just need you to hear this number, okay? He is the New York Times bestselling author of 23 books, <laughs> including, please, sorry, thanks, the three words that change everything. Mark and his wife, Laura, live on Capitol Hill and have three children. The first book I read by Mark Patterson was The Circle Maker. And it literally changed my prayer life. I know I'm dramatic and I, I use words like literally <laughs> too much, but I can't tell you enough how much this book radically transformed the way I pray. And I tell Mark this in our conversation, but some of the things I'm sitting in now in my life are only because I read his book and I started actively engaging in prayer and believing that I was talking to somebody who was a real person. 
and who wanted to be involved in my life. So I hope my conversation with Mark today challenges you and inspires you and encourages you to keep going. So I like to open the show by doing a little bit of social media research, digging, stalking, all of that. And so I like to read back to somebody something that they posted online. Are you ready, Mark Batterson? Ready or not, here we go. (laughs) We're going to do it anyway. So for you, I pulled it. It was actually a reel that was posted of you on Instagram, and I loved it. It says this, quit putting an eight-foot ceiling on what God can do. Faith is seeing through drywall and drop ceilings. You were talking in that quote about your purchase of the city block called the Capital Turnaround and how it was hard to see what it could become when you're first deciding to make this purchase. Talk to us about what you mean. I I really like this line. Faith is seeing through drywall and drop ceilings. What does that mean? Yeah, I love it. Well, the context on the eight-foot ceiling, can I start there? Please, yes. Let's go all the way back. I mean, Genesis 15, God calls Abraham out of his tent, and he says, look up and count the stars. Why? Mm. Well, it was just a two-foot field trip, but as long as you're inside the tent, you're staring at an eight-foot ceiling, but the second you go outside the tent, the sky is the limit. And so Mm. I think faith is dreaming bigger and thinking longer. And just a a little reminder, God doesn't exist within the four dimensions of space-time he created. So that was kind of the backdrop. And we're in the middle of a miracle. And I better say this, the the church is people, not a building. It's not something you go to. But uh, for about 20 years, we met in rented facilities. And then wouldn't you know it, God gives us a city block I mean, for $29.3 million, Heather, so it wasn't free, but it was a miracle. And we walked into this 1891 building, and it had all these tiny classrooms and drop ceilings, but we knew that the only thing that was load-bearing were 96 columns. And so we uh, did some deconstruction before we did some reconstruction, uh, which is kind of a funny way to put it, considering how many people are deconstructing their faith right now. But you know what? Sometimes you have to get rid of the drywall, get rid of the drop ceiling, and and then recreate out of reimagination. And so we are in the middle of uh, about 60,000 square feet have been redeveloped, and it's a beautiful space a mile from the Capitol. And wow. so uh, just to answer to prayer and something that we believe God is doing uh, to the third and fourth generation. We're actually doing a pod class right now on the show titled Three Things That Could Change Your Life. And essentially your book, three things, right? Three <laughs> words you have um, that could change your life. And I just thought, man, we have to have Mark on for this pod class three things that could change your life. I just want to say this to you too, before we get going and to everybody publicly. And I'm probably not the only person right now that's even talking or listening to the show that has read The Circle Maker. I I would guess probably everybody who's listening right now read Circle Maker. It was that big. But truly, can I just tell you, your book changed. It's going to make me almost cry. It changed my life. It changed the ceilings that I saw about who Mm. God was, about what my prayer life could look like. I started on my campus. I'm now back to the same campus I was on back then, actually walking with my students around the campus in prayer, praying over their lives, praying over our our ministries. Mm. So many things that I am now sitting in started so many years ago with the circle maker and actually putting feet to my faith because of of what you taught us. So I just want to thank you so much for your work. I am a recipient. (laughs) Uh, I want you to know that. Well, Heather, I should connect the dots then because that city block is where I turned the corner on that prayer circle in 1996. Mm. It was 18 years to the day from the day of that prayer walk that we got a contract on that building. Someone else offered cash and we got it for kingdom purposes. And so the circle maker is sort of a gift that keeps on giving because prayer compounds interest. And I think the way you steward a miracle 
is you believe God for even bigger and better miracles, of course, for his glory. So that made my day, Heather. Thank you. Until reading your book, I just didn't even know genuinely that God answers prayers in the way that I saw it in your book. I'm not kidding. And I remember the moment, and this is probably four years ago now, that there was just a, a huge prayer, like a miracle that I got to experience God answer for me. And it was the first thing I thought of was you. Like, oh my goodness, Mark's God is my God. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So, oh, and I know I'm not wow. the only one. So I'm just saying what everybody listening right now is thinking. Okay, I want to share a quote from your book from chapter one. It just made my little communication professor heart beat so happily. It says this, In a series of studies conducted at the University of Chicago, the recordings of thousands of counseling sessions were analyzed. Some sessions were successful, resulting in sustained change. Others were unsuccessful. The differentiating factor, it wasn't the therapist's technique. The difference is in how the counselees talk. You say, if you want to change your life, you have to change your words. Tell them, Mark, I've been telling them, for three seasons. You tell them, please, why this is true. Yes. Well, first of all, a shout out to therapists because your techniques do matter. And uh, we're grateful for your wisdom and your ability to reflective listen. So it's not a diss on therapists. It, It really is the power of words. And we better back up one step because Heather, you you know, it goes back to the power of thinking yes. first because words are formed as thoughts. And, and so as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, the writer of Proverbs said. And I chuckle at this and, and you're, you're an educator and uh, you, you have some letters by your name, <laughs> Heather. So I, I'd say this with all humility. I kind of wonder, how do we find out that we do have 60,000 thoughts a day? I don't know who came up with that that <laughs> number, but the Cleveland Clinic argues that about 80% of those thoughts are negative. And so wow. it's this negativity bias that we have to overcome. Our internal dialogue usually is pretty negative. And so what we have to begin to do is change our thoughts. Now, I'll just say it this way. I think scripture is the script cure, that scripture has a way of changing the way that we think that then changes the way that we talk. But that, that same writer of Proverbs said that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Simply put, words create worlds. And so we're on the same page. And it's true whether it's social media or me standing behind a pulpit or writing a book or in a family context or in a work setting. What words are we using? And it's almost like we're teasing these three words, aren't we right now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I know we'll get to those three magic words, but words are the things that create our reality and really do function as self-fulfilling prophecies. Talk to me about the three words, please. Sorry, thanks. That's the name of the book. You can pause the episode, friend, right now. Buy the book. Actually, you can like get it on Kindle and you can start reading it as you listen to this conversation. You can do whatever you have to do. Communication professor approved. Please, sorry, thanks. You have to check out this book. I'm so grateful that you wrote it. Tell me the title. How'd you get there? Yes. So please, sorry, thanks were the three words that my parents taught me. Like you have to say, please, sorry, thanks. But what I've discovered, Heather, is that I I think it has to be more than words. It has to be a lifestyle Mm. that these words are, please strikes me as more of a posture Mm. towards other people. Sorry is a posture of it takes a lot of humility to apologize. And, and then thanks is a posture of gratitude. So I'm like you, I have some concerns about where we are as a culture mm. with the level of incivility and the way that we so easily demonize others who aren't part of our in-group. Maybe we'll talk about some of those things, but I, I really believe you only have to be good at three things. If you're good at please, sorry, mm-hmm. and thanks, you're good to go. If you're married, your marriage, 
if you have kids, your family, your workplace, these things, the culture is going to manifest from these three words. And so if you get good at please, sorry, and thanks, it, it almost takes that eight foot ceiling off that we were talking about. Because in my experience, it's not always the person with the most degrees or the most knowledge that gets the promotion. Mm. It's often the person with the most EQ. They have some emotional intelligence to go along with their their resume. And so I'm just excited because I feel like if we could all get a little bit better at please, sorry, and thanks, it would kind of be this rising tide in culture that I think would float all boats, so to speak. What do you think about this? Because I would say for myself, I'm really good at my communication with God on please, sorry, thanks. I am probably really good at sorry in my relationships. It is harder for me to say please or to ask somebody else for help to be honest that I need it. I'm probably not even as good at thanks with God because it it feels like my please with God is so much bigger or my sorry with God always feels so much bigger and has more depth than the thanks part of it. As you were writing the book and researching, am I alone in that? Are other people, is it harder to live this out relationally sometimes than it is to like do this solitary spiritual thing with these words? Well, I'm so intrigued right now because... In my early encounters, as people start reading the book, I think most people would say sorry is the hardest word. Mm. And and I'm hearing you say that that's something. And so then I want to get into your family of origin or your, (laughs) like, how is Heather good at sorry? But, you know, so much depends on the crucible of the environment that you grew up in. Mm. So If you grew up in an environment that just there was this sense of entitlement or people don't matter or there there was a lack of just kind of fundamental human kindness, please is going to not come easily. You're going to demand things. So I think I'm really interested that sorry is the word that came a little bit more naturally for you. But here's what's beautiful. I, I think you're right. If we can vertically get these words right with God, that is a healthy, holy relationship with God. Now let's try to horizontal that with others. But you start to read the Sermon on the Mount is is a great example. There there are six, you know, theologians call them the six antitheses, but they're, I I think of them as six counter habits. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give the shirt off of your back, None of those things are natural, at least to me. But it's learning these counterintuitive Jesus principles or way of living mm-hmm. that I think those things are embedded into please, sorry, thanks. I mean, even Jesus said, if you're giving a gift at the altar and realize you have something against someone, why don't you go make that right <laughs> and then come back? And then The word please is kind of sprinkled throughout scripture, but in my experience, Heather, God doesn't respond to demands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Prayer is not about me outlining my agenda to God. It's about getting into God's word, God's presence, letting God outline his agenda to me. Mm. And so, and then that thanks one, we'll, I'm sure we'll double back to that because. Yeah. (laughs) How did you know? I want to ask you this. You say in the book, does God speak audibly? Absolutely. But that's a thin slice of his vocal range. His ability to speak is way beyond our ability to hear. God doesn't just use his voice to form words. He uses words to form worlds. Here's the line. Everything we see was once said. Talk to me about the voice of God. This is actually one of my favorite things to talk about with deeply spiritual people, because as somebody who serves college students, I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of misconception for them, unfortunately, that we adult mentors have done. I just always hear, well, God doesn't speak to me. I've never heard from God. Talk to me. What does the, how do we hear the voice of God without hearing God's voice, Mark? What does that look like for you? What has God sounded like to you in your life? Yeah. Besides my wife, Heather. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. He speaks to us through people. Yes. You know, I I joke with my wife that, hey, your voice and the Holy Spirit's voice are 
eerily similar, <laughs> but you know, the, the first three words of scripture in Hebrew, Bereshit, Elohim, bara. in the beginning, God created. How did he do that? He did it with his voice, which is a mystery to me. But this is where I, I kind of geek out on the science side because we only hear between 20 and 20,000 hertz. Yeah. Everything outside that range, of course, is infrasonic or ultrasonic. But that's where sound does incredible stuff. It's how you track submarines or how you get a glimpse of an mm. unborn baby or how you can break up kidney stones or it's how elephants navigate using infrasound. So sound becomes strange and mysterious and miraculous outside the audible range. So hmm. my question to listeners would be, who is the loudest voice in your life? Is it the loudest voice or is it the still small voice of the Holy Spirit? And so with relationship, you learn someone else's hmm. voice. And it's pretty amazing that we all have a unique voice print, just like we have a unique fingerprint. And so I have no doubt God knows your voice and God loves your voice. What we have to do is through relationship, begin to discern how God speaks to us. And, you know, one way he does it is through the stars, Psalm 19, you know, they're always speaking. On that note, mm. can I have a little bit of fun? I'm just having fun today. Yeah, please. If uh, our sun is 93 million miles away. So if you drove there in a car, 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It'd take you 163 years to get there. It's that far away. Hmm. But our sunlight's only eight minutes and 20 seconds old because light is hmm. so fast. And so where I'm going with that is in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And those four words are still creating galaxies at the outer edge of the universe. And hmm. so everything you see was once said. And so, Heather, I know people who, who say, I've never experienced a miracle. Yeah. With all due respect, you've never not. You are a miracle. Wow. Uh, you are in a universe that is expanding at the speed of light. Like, If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. What do you say to people who say that this is hocus pocus, this is new age, your words don't create things, you, you know, because there's people that have co-opted. I personally think actually like Christianity, because this is biblical, but I think there's people that have co-opted this to say, hey, just speak your truth or speak your, and it will happen, right? And there's tons of Instagram accounts right now that are peddling that. How do you differentiate what you're explaining here in this book and from some of those other things that we may have heard? I love that question because it's so important. You know, in my mind, every prayer has to meet a twofold litmus test, has to be in the will of God for the glory of God. If it's not, mm. it's a non-starter. But if it is, it's game on. Mm. So th this is about coming into alignment with God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, just as there is special grace and common grace, I think in some respect, Heather, it's, it is true that whatever words you speak are going to have a self-fulfilling kind of effect, be they positive or negative. Mm -hmm. Where I would differentiate is, I love Jeremiah one twelve. God is watching over his word to perform it. So words take on a unique power when it's the word of God or the promises of God. And so absolutely, mm -hmm. let's be really careful with how we, let, let's study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the guy talking right now is not a health, wealth, and prosperity. He's not a name yeah. it, claim it guy. Anytime you add anything to the gospel, you're subtracting from it. That said, there are principles. And the very first principle is that words create worlds. And so if that's true yeah. for God, then he has given us this unique capacity. And I would even argue that, yeah, metal arts have 300 notes that they can sing. Whales can, can sing 10,000 miles underwater. That's true. 
And, and even trees communicate. If you study dendrology, it's fascinating the way that trees can communicate mm-hmm. through chemicals. But let's be honest, the human species made in the image of God is unique in our ability to language. And so I think that it's actually part of the image of God. And so we've got to make sure that mm-hmm. we steward that in a way that honors and glorifies God. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. You write, what if we viewed words the way we view money? What if we saw our words as gifts? What if we were generous with life-giving words? Tell me a little bit about how we can be more intentional and more wise with the words that we speak over ourselves. Something I like telling people is that your brain is actually wired in the negative. So you have to train yourself to do this. You train yourself to think positively and speak positively. Talk to us about how do we interrupt those negative thoughts? How do we interrupt those negative voices in our own heads? What does your life look like? How do you do it? And can I give you a heads up? I really want to flip the question and just ask you, Okay. um, has anyone ever spoken into your life, maybe a sentence or a word or something that was trajectory changing. So I, I want to come back to that because I'm really curious. If I ask most people listening, m- most of us can recall the hurtful words that then trigger these mm. deep emotions that, man, that hurts so bad. Yeah. We can readily recall the negative things. And so what we have to do is kind of write over that. We have mm-hmm. to rewrite. We have to uh, flip the script in, in a sense. And, and I would go back to scripture that Romans 12, it has a renewing effect on the mind. It literally mm-hmm. reroutes neuronal connections in mm-hmm. a way that then we begin to have the mind of Christ. But I, I would also say, could we be the ones spirit-led words of encouragement, even if your theology allows for it, prophetic words, words that at the right time, at the right place, spoken can literally change someone's life. And so Mm -hmm. I was at an altar praying one day when someone prayed what seemed like a generic prayer, uh, said, God is going to use you in a great way. I mean, it still chokes me up, Heather. It still gets Mm -hmm, me because mm -hmm. I was in a very vulnerable place as a teenager, Mm -hmm. not knowing what the future held. Someone prayed prophetically over me. And so just out of curiosity, and I I know I'm putting you on the spot, but are there words that were spoken over your life that you can recall? And what did that mean to you? Yeah. So on this show, actually, we did a podcast series on mentorship. And I had Christine Kane, Beth Moore, my own personal mentor on. And one thing, my personal mentor, the first time I ever talked to him is he said, before God often moves in someone's life, he will send them someone to help guide them on the way. And that's why I'm here. I've never forgotten that. The other thing he said is, Heather, you're going to get there quicker if you slow down. And for me, as somebody who spent so many years of my life deeply trying to earn God's love and prove to him that I was good enough, prove to myself really that I was good enough, someone telling me to slow down was like the exhale 
over my entire like theology mm. that I really needed to receive the God that was always there, right? But that I couldn't see in the drop ceiling. Yes. So it, yeah, it changed my path. It changed my life. Can we go down one layer? Okay. Your answer makes me wonder what your Enneagram number is, if you know it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I know it? I, I would think. Here's how here's how we'll know if you know what my number is already. Yeah. Do you think I know what it is? I think you do. <laughs> I, I'm an Enneagram three. And I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> because it takes a three to know a three. Are you a three? Yes. So when when I hear language like, you know, performing or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, earning, or you're kind of only as good as your last lecture or sermon. And so the hardest thing for me to do is to slow down. Can I just share maybe two really practical things for threes, but even if you're a a one through nine, one in different seasons, I'll try to spend an hour in prayer, even an hour on my knees, because it's so hard because I want to immediately get things accomplished. I want to get more done by 9 a.m., then everybody else gets done by the end of the day. Because you ruined me. You know, you you wrote <laughs> you wrote that thing about waking up before 5 a.m. I've gotten up ever since I read, I don't remember which book it was in. Do you? Yeah. You've written so many. I can't remember which one. You said like something about like the most successful thing you'll do is the time you yep. place on your alarm. Yep, no doubt. And I, ever since then, so this has been for me, And you also, I think, talked about reading scripture cover to cover. Ever since, I'm telling you, you really impacted me. (laughs) I set my alarm at 5 a.m. and I have worship every single day. And I've read scripture. I think I'm on my 13th lap through. But I have like a solid hour in the morning because of what I read in your book. We overestimate what would happen in one year, underestimate what could happen in 10. Over 10 years now, my life has absolutely been changed by this practice of slowing down in the morning, spending time with God. Yep. I still stand by the statement that when you set your alarm clock for is probably one of the most important decisions you make. The only thing I would add 10 years later, Heather, is that I'm wearing an aura ring and it gives me a sleep score and a readiness score. What is an aura ring? It's O-U-R-A. And through infrared, it gives me respiration rate, heart rate, Deep wow. sleep, REM cycle sleep, and this is not a an advertisement for Aura. <laughs> you can you can actually get there are a number of different kinds, and an Apple Watch I think is is beginning yeah. to do this as well. But but where I'm going with this is I do think that sleep is a stewardship issue too. Yeah, so yeah. the mistake I was making ten years ago was getting up early and staying up as late as I was. And now I'm being a little bit more judicious to make sure that I'm kind of operating at full strength. So I still get up very early. And maybe what I'm saying, Heather, is I'm just getting older. Uh, Maybe (laughs) that's what I'm saying. But the threes have to find ways to slow down. One other thought, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but a silent retreat where for 24 hours, you just no mm. external inputs. You, you get away maybe with a Bible and a journal. You just try to, it's ear cleansing. And so those are a couple of things. I know we went a little on a rabbit trail there, no. but I was curious and I'm pretty sure you were a three. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, maybe this is a three thing. Talk to me about thanks. Yes. About the importance of gratitude. This is my thing with God that I apologize for because I'm very good at I'm sorry. I feel like I can spend so much time on please. I know how to circle. I know how to go over the block over and over and over again. I know how to say I'm sorry. And for me, it feels like the thanks part, the gratitude part of my prayers are not at the same level as that which I said, please. Does that make sense? Or not even if I do something wrong, it's not the same intensity of that which I've mourned, what I've done. And I want so badly to give God the glory that he deserves (laughs) in my thanks. And I feel like I'm like, thank you. Or like, I'll do a lap. Thank you. And that's it. But I I just feel like he deserves so much more. How do we do gratitude better? Okay. So I'm going to try not to guilt trip any threes out there who feel like they're underperforming on on thanks. (laughs) But I do have to say that an Orthodox Jew would pronounce a hundred blessings a day. 
And it, it was a way of life. In fact, the Talmud says that if you receive a blessing from God, but fail to give thanks, it's as if you have stolen it from God. So yeah. there, there's a lot of us that are shoplifting every single day. And, mm. and so what we have to do is find a way to cultivate gratitude. And so for me, I keep a gratitude journal. And then I, yeah. I have to make it into a game, Heather. As a three, I kind of have to make it a game. And so I number those gratitudes. And so I, I try to get about three a day. And if you get about three a mm-hmm. day, then you'll have about a thousand at the end of the year. And what it does, just mm-hmm. to kind of back up the bus a little bit, you know, at the base of the brainstem, there's this cluster of cells called the reticular activating system that determines what we notice and what goes unnoticed. And I, I wrote about some of that in prayer because I think prayer sanctifies that reticular activating system, but gratitude does the same. So when I mm. know I need three gratitudes a day, I'm looking for them. And, uh, and we don't see the world as it yeah. is. We see the world as we are. So that gratitude journal can be a small step giant leap towards this theology of thanks. Something that you say on your chapter on please that I wanted to ask you about is that this is a quote. You say, your please has to be precise. <laughs> Talk to us about that because I'm good friends with Annie F. Down. She's very big into that. She always tells me if I say, I need more or that she's like, specifically, Heather, what is it? Okay. But then I worry I'm going to like pigeonhole God into something I could see and he would have done something different. So to the person listening, what does this mean? Be specific with your pleas. Yes, absolutely. So I would say up front that God has blessings in categories we can't conceive of. So God's mm-hmm. ability to answer is beyond our ability to combine these 26 letters of the English alphabet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make sure we say that. But I think this is true of please, sorry, and thanks, by the way. The, the precision. And it's almost easier to explain with sorry, Heather, because if you apologize for something, but you aren't precise, you don't really know what you're sorry wow. about. And you're going to do wow. the same thing all over again. I would say the same thing about thanks. Like wh- what I try to do is nuance it in a way that, wow. wait, what, what part of this meal, what ingredient in this meal have I never been thankful for? Like, don't, don't just thank God for spaghetti. Thank him for oregano, the secret ingredient, you know, in, in the recipe or whatever. Um, mm. And so with please, I, I think it comes down to, remember Jesus asked this question of the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. And it almost seems like, why would you ask? He's blind. He wants his yeah. eyesight. But I, I think Jesus knew we have to define. And in fact, while we're on that subject, what one thing I want to put out there, if you don't define success for yourself, mm. you will accept a cultural definition. Mm. And that's a dangerous thing. So for me, uh, success is when those who know me best respect me most. Mm. And so it's not about it's not about pastoring or writing. I love doing those things, but at the end of the day, success is if if my wife and kids respect me. Because they, they know I'm imperfect, mm-hmm. but they know that there's integrity and that there's a real desire to be authentic. And um, I'm not faking it. If they yeah. know and respect me, then to me, that's success. And so maybe that's a fun little side assignment for folks to just define success for yourself yeah. so that you aren't falling into the trap of just what other people think. Talk to us about the specifics. I really want to know, how do we do this better in our prayer? <laughs> yeah, I think he, here's what helps. Journaling helps. Okay. Because we tend to be more precise when we write things out. Okay. Because we have to nuance an emotion or we have to nuance, th- this is what I'm believing for. And so I... Uh, it's so hard for me not to go in different directions because But you can like, go is, you can go in whatever direction okay. you want. So so this is true in goal setting too. And I I kind of with every book, you know, you get into a, a mindset. Right. And so, you know, the last two books, Win the Day and Do It for a Day, were, were all about habit formation. So I mm. talked about how a goal has to be measurable 
and meaningful and maintainable. Mm-hmm. And and so when I say measurable, like losing weight is not a goal. That's a wish. Mm. Uh, you, you have to define, uh, you have to give it a timeline and you have to give it a target. And so like for me last year, I, I did a bike century with my oldest son because that's what he loves to do. And so like you, you have to be specific and define it. Yeah. So the same is true with words that the way that I take thoughts captive and make them obedient hmm. to Christ is I, I begin to write in my journal and begin to get more and more specific. And it just it helps me pray and it helps me communicate to others. And so that specificity, and, and I outline it a little bit more in the book, I think will help. Actually, I want to ask you, just because our pod class right now, what are three things someone can do right now, today, goal-wise maybe? What can they do today to start this path toward changing their words and changing their life? Yeah. And I love that you're giving three things because... Uh, if you do too many things, it's going to be a little bit too uh, overwhelming. And so let, let's start with please and the power of a smile. What, what yeah. if we upped our quota of smiles? Have you found, Heather, like when you smile at someone, it's almost hard for them not to smile back if it's a genuine, real smile. Yeah. And so I think let's use our body language to say, please. Hmm. Now, when it comes to sorry, could we be the ones who go first? Like, I never want to go first. Hmm. I want someone else. It, it was their fault. You know, they offended me or what, whatever. No, no, no. We're the ones who go first. I, I mean, if, if Jesus is hanging on a cross and, and he can say, Father, forgive them to the ones yeah. who, who nailed him there, then I don't have a leg to stand on. I, I better take the initiative. And so is there someone that you need to reach out to and they have free will? You cannot control their reactions, but yes. you can be the one to take that initiative. And then when it comes to, to thanks, I would advocate for a gratitude journal. Just be, begin the process, but I'll take it one okay. step further. Okay. If you're married with a spouse or if you're in a small group with friends or find some way to give gratitude with another person, because it does when you begin to share that. So my wife and I, our Sabbath is Sunday night to Monday night, and we begin that Sabbath by sharing gratitudes from the last week. Well, that's a great way to begin a day of rest, a day mm. of recreation. And so those are a couple of simple ways to begin to put it into practice. Mark Batterson is the author of Please, Sorry, Thanks. You can get it wherever books are sold. Mark, my tagline for this season of Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time when social media has so many negatives around it, at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of their words, of their communication, of how they portray their faith, both online and off. Here's the question I ask everybody at the end of the show. How do you personally choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? You are going to laugh at my answer because our team laughs at me. No one uses more emojis than this guy. <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, words can express meaning, but emojis can express feeling. And I know when I'm on Twitter, Instagram, or hmm. uh, other places, I do a lot of emojis in my texting and I don't do as much in social space, but you know, my rule of thumb is, would I say it this way to this person's face? Yeah. And, you know, if I bump into them or maybe I'm seated next to them at the marriage supper of the lamb, do I want to say it this way? Yeah. So I just, I think we need more positive voices. We need to mm -hmm. celebrate what we want to see more of. So I love that you are a redemptive force, Heather, oh, thank and you. that you're raising up a generation that th this is a powerful platform. I mean, it's crazy. You say something and it just has yeah. a, a ripple effect. And so let's do it the right way. And don't be overwhelmed by the negative voices. There's going to be trolling and baiting and canceling. It's inevitable. 
Uh, you can't please all the people all the time, but at the end of the day, can you look in the mirror and feel good? about the words that you used. Mark Batterson is the author of Please, Sorry, Thanks. You can get this book wherever books are sold. Mark, thank you so much for teaching us today. Thanks, Heather. What can we learn from our conversation with Mark Batterson? Number one, I love this, quit putting eight-foot ceilings on what God can do in your life. Faith, Mark says, is seeing through all the drywall. Number two, if you want to change your life, you have to change your words. We just finished our pod class on therapy and Mark's research found that your counseling session being successful is actually not as determined by the counselor as it is determined by how you, the counselee, talk while in the appointment. Speak light and hope and compassion over your own life. That doesn't mean that we don't admit and say, man, this is really hard or, oh, I am really struggling. But how do we demonstrate compassion to ourselves in those experiences? And how do we respond to that negative voice inside when it speaks. Number three, I want you to look at your life and do a survey over the words you are currently using because there are three words every person must know how to say. And Mark says they are please, sorry, thanks. These three words help you build relationship. And remember, you are wired to exist in relationship with other people. Please, sorry, thanks. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, I sit down with Mary R. Snyder. So this episode next week, if you have ever wanted to be a speaker or a ministry leader, this episode is designed specifically for you. Mary R. Snyder is going to tell you three things every person needs to know about the art of public speaking. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.